If you got your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 3. I started in verse 10 and kind of recapped some things uh, in the last service. I'm not going to do that. We're going to start in verse 16. Uh, and I'm going to quickly recap 10 through 16. But I know, I know God wants to do something in you this morning. He wants to do something in me. And he wants to do something in you. It is our turn. It is our time in this generation to be his men, to be his women, to be his people. No longer enslaved through whatever forces that may be in power, that may seem like they are in power. But there is no true power on planet earth apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are its stewards. God has given so much to us and it's time to begin using the things that God has given us, the people that God has brought forth to be His voice in this world. Let's pray. We'll get to Exodus. Father, I love You. I am thankful for You. Lord Jesus, I know what Your will is. I don't know how You will accomplish it through us. So we ask for Your help. We need you. None of us in this room are smart enough or good enough. We need you, Holy Spirit, in Christ's name for the glory of the Father to work in us and through us. Be with us, Lord Jesus. It is in your name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Three big ideas. God is sending a Savior. Genesis 3.15. God is making a people for Himself. He's still making that people. And God has a promised land. An inheritance for that people. Three big ideas move us into this Exodus narrative where we see God already fulfilling his promises. God has always, he is the I am. It's a verb. He's always been at work. He is working now. He will always be at work to fulfill the covenants that he has made with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he is still making a people. He has sent a Savior. A Savior better than Moses. Amen? His name is Jesus. And there is still an inheritance to be had, to be claimed by His people. So we find ourselves in the Exodus narrative. We see Moses who has been 40 years outside of Egypt. He was a prince at the king's table for 40 years. Now he's been 40 years in the wilderness and God shows up. A pre-cameo uh, incarnate appearance of Christ in a burning bush that is not consumed. We still have, oh, I wish that would happen to me, Brent. We have a 
bush burning that is not consumed today. It is the very words of God. They try to destroy, but they cannot. His word is here for us. God speaks through the cross of Christ Jesus to us this morning. And he says, no more excuses. Last week, we saw the first two out of five excuses that Moses gives. The first one, God speaks to Moses and says, go to Pharaoh. It's time for my people to be delivered. It's time for my people to move into the promise. I've already been growing them into a strong people. It's time to move them into the inheritance that I have planned for them. Moses says, who am I? Who am I that I should be, I have no position, I have no title. Who am I that I should be part? I'm just a shepherd. I work for my father-in-law so that I have the good grace of marrying his daughter, Zipporah. I mean, I'm a nobody from nowhere. Who am I, Moses says. That's his first excuse. I can't be part of this grand will of God scheme that, that you are working out in the world. I'm just a goat farmer on the backside of the desert. God tells him, I will be with you. Second question Moses asked, who are you? What is this thing that you're calling me into? What is your purpose? What is your name? God says, I am that I am. His name is Yahweh. His name defined is action. Inexhaustible, self-sufficient, eternal. Those no boundaries. The God you serve still today knows no boundaries. Doesn't need sanctions or diplomacy. He is still the I am enacting his will in our world today. If we have eyes to see and ears to hear. Those are the first two big questions. Two excuses. Who am I? Who are you? We're going to read the next three today. Let's start in verse 16. Go. And gather the elders of Israel together. Now there are three people, three groups of people that God is telling Moses to go and deliver a message to. Obviously we have the Pharaoh. God, Moses isn't called to go and preach in the open streets of Egypt to all the Egyptians. No, he's told to go to Pharaoh. There's one person he has to convince of God's message. But the other people, there's two groups. There's God's full people, the, the Hebrew people, the Israelites. He's got to go and talk to them, and he's got to talk to their leaders, the elders of Israel. And the elders, we learn, are supposed to go with and be beside Moses. We're going to see how that works out uh, in a couple weeks. But verse 16, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Doesn't that read kind of in a Northman Viking style? Right? Here's what I love. 
about our God. He's not a God that just showed up yesterday. Right? There have been religions invented since Christ that claim lineage to Abraham, but they are without merit. The God of the Bible has been working in human history since creation, Adam and Eve, Noah, to us today. He's not a God that just showed up. He's always been working out. Here's how I can be so confident this morning in knowing what God wants from us in 2022. It's because he's been speaking the same thing since the beginning. Deliverance and freedom for his people. Here, now, and eternally in Christ. We know what God wants. He didn't just show up yesterday. We stand on the shoulders of those who have come before us. The Spurgeons, the Luthers, the Calvins, the Augustans. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, 17. And I promise that I will... I love God is true to His Word. I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will... Underline this, listen to your voice. Again, Moses has already said, who am I that I should go? God says, they will listen to your voice. Now, your voice doesn't have any power in it, Moses. God's fixing to tell him, it's going to take my hand coming down, but I'm sending you, your voice is going to be heard. It's a beautiful thing to know that the voice of God in our flawed human voices is still heard and causes the unbeliever to shiver. You know why they hate the church so much? They are afraid of a righteous, holy God in whom they have not obeyed and not come to. It's why... If a Muslim on a plane gets down and prays, the news media erupts and praise God for progression and we're finally at a place where Muslims can praise God for all. If a Christian sings a worship song on a plane, it's called terrorism. Our enemies are scared to death of us. Why? Because it is God's voice in our voice that they hear and it causes them to tremble as it always has. You can convince yourself there is no God all you want, but you still scratch your head every night laying on your pillow knowing that true justice is coming. It always comes. I promise I will bring you out the affliction of Egypt. Verse 18, and they will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king. It was supposed to be Moses and the elders together that go to Pharaoh. You shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, 
Yahweh, personal name of God, the I am, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Not your gods, Pharaoh. You've got a lot of them. You've got one for the sun, one for the Nile. One for... We're going to talk about all those gods when we get to the plagues. The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, our God, has met with us. And now please let us go on a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Now understand the ask that God tells Moses to go and ask a Pharaoh. We are your workforce, your labor force, but we'd like to unionize. And as a first act in and of ourselves, we've been talking to our God, not yours, but our God. We need to go on a three days journey. That's not a three days total. That's three days travel into the wilderness so we can make sacrifices and then travel three days back. How many of your bosses like when you come and ask, hey, uh, I know I've already had my vacation time and my sick time is gone, but I need another week. And I need for you to suck it up and pay for it. That's what Moses is going to Pharaoh to ask at this point. And not only is he asking for time off for the entire labor force of Egypt, but he's asking to make sacrifices to the Hebrew God, sacrificing animals that the Egyptians think are holy and represent their gods. If you know anything about Egypt, every one of their gods has a different animal head. Yeah, we want to go kill the animals that represent your gods to our God in the wilderness. Just, man, what? Smack, smack, smack. Insult. I flush my toilet on you. <laughs> I don't know why that was French. It was the leather glove thing from Looney Tunes. This is what God tells Moses to do. No wonder Moses doesn't want to do this. It's not popular. It could cost them. Verse 19. But I know that the king of Egypt, you're going to go and they're going to hear your voice. But I know. I love how God always tells us what's going to happen before it happens. That's why when we turn on our televisions today, we should not be surprised. There are many antichrists that have come. There are many against creator God who from his own word created all things and in whom all things hold together. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go. He thinks he's in control. He's not yet learned I'm in control of all things. We think we're in control of our lives. God is in control. He always has been. He always will be. I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. We're going to see how God can bend even the most powerful man of the most powerful nation at this time, as he always has been doing. 
Anytime there's a Nebuchadnezzar that stands, that's told to humble themselves, and we find them standing on the roof of their palace a chapter later saying, am I not the greatest ruler? A week later, he's grazing like an animal in a field, growing his fingernails out like claws, lost his mind. Why? Because God's in control. Nations, nations come and go. They rise and fall at the will of our Father. I know the king will not. I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. Please be here for the plagues. Underline it. After. After that. He's going to deny. He's going to say no. He's going to think he's in charge. But when my hand comes down. After that. He will let you go. And I will give this people Favor in the sight of the Egyptians. You know what? You need to pray for your kids more than anything else. That's why we do child dedication. We can't save our children. We need God to save them. So we pray God's favor upon them. God, be show favor to our children. Why would any parent not labor in prayer? For their kids. But this is what God does for his people. He shows them favor when they are enslaved. In the sight of the Egyptians, and when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Right now, When you go, they're going to hear your voice, but until my hand comes down, they're going to say, no, 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 no. But after my hand comes down, they're going to be begging you to leave, and they're going to be filling your pockets with all their gold and silver, happy as you leave Egypt. This is the favor of God upon his people. Chapter 4. Third question, third excuse. But Moses answered. Now imagine, Moses is standing at the burning bush. Moses is seeing a pre-cameo appearance of God himself in human form, Christ. Moses is hearing the oracles of God declared directly to him in a bush that is not consumed. And who am I and who are you? Third excuse, Moses answered, Behold, they're not going to believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. How many times have we been afraid to speak true life into people for fear? that they may reject it or not believe us when we speak it. I have been having conversations for decades with Christian students, with Christian teachers, with seminaries and professors, with pastors. And I keep hearing, well... 
We need to be open. We've got to be empathetic. We've got to hear all that they have to say. Uh, they're angry. They're trying to figure it out. We've got to give, 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 give. Listen, I've been given, 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 given. Guess what? It's getting worse, not better. There comes a time to draw some straight, thick lines. This is gospel. This is error. And this is heresy. If you find yourself in the error part, you need to move towards the gospel. Because if you move this way, you're not a Christian. God speaks specific things and wants Moses to repeat specific things. Paul calls it sound Doctrine, what I received from the Lord, I've given to you. It's time. But what do we say? We're afraid. Oh, they're not going to believe us. Look, those who aren't going to believe aren't going to believe anyway. So what are we afraid of? Because some are going to hear the gospel and believe. And what joy, what power to see in our lifetime. God changing human hearts. They're not going to believe me. They're not going to believe this is happening right now. How many of you have had that time of prayer, that time with the Lord in your prayer closet that just you go, people will never believe? I hope you've had a time like that. If you haven't, shut up and go pray. The Lord said to him, verse 2, what is it in your hand? Now we're going to see three signs that God gives Moses here. The staff that becomes a serpent, the hand that becomes leprous, and the Nile that becomes blood. Let's read quickly. The Lord said to him, what is in your hand? And he said, a staff. Why does he have a staff? Because he's a shepherd on the backside of the desert. He's a nobody from nowhere, and yet the staff becomes a symbol for all of us of the good shepherd and how we are to shepherd as well. A staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. And he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. Why? Because this is not a sleight of hand parlor trick. This is God revealing his will and his power to Moses. Moses has been in the wilderness with goats for 40 years. He knows of the asp. He knows of the cobra. He knows how deadly they are to humanity. So when he sees the rod become the serpent, he, he rightly runs away from it in fear that is deadly, poisonous. It can end life. But the Lord said, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. And you thought God telling you to proclaim the gospel was hard. <laughs> I mean, how much faith would it take you to reach down and pick up the serpent? I tried one time to be the man. I'm not scared of the snake. And I'm gonna, that thing curled up and was ready to strike. And I was like, ah, forget it. I ain't cool. I'm not a man. I am scared to death. Pick it up. So he put it out of his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you, that they may believe we've been given sign. The sign of Jonah. 
He came. There is more historical evidence for the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ than there is Julius Caesar or any other historical figure. Don't let the PhDs fool you. We have evidence. We have science on our side. We have archaeology on our side. They act as if we're the dumb ones, but everything they find only brings more credence to this word because God is true. Second sign, again the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Imagine taking your hand, putting your coat and pulling it out and it's the hand of a leper. Skin disease, white and flaky, bulbous. Now put your hand back inside the cloak. When he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. And if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Now, we're going to talk about this a lot later. Two signs. The rod turns into a serpent. The leprous hand. The third. Two of these God performed for Moses right there. He knew God was true to his word. This third sign, the Nile the Egyptian God of life, or the Nile meant life to Egypt. There would be no great civilization in North Africa if not for the Nile spreading into what they call the Delta. If you ever look at a map of North Africa, the Nile runs south to north and, and spreads into five different rivers. They're looking like an upside-down triangle. They call that the Delta. That's where the palaces were built. Because the Nile meant life. They, they called it the, the black land. Because the Nile flooded every year and all the soil around would turn black. It was rich. You could grow crops. It was wonderful. Everything outside of the periphery of the Nile floodplain. It's called the, the dry ground, the dry land. Because you can't grow anything there. This third sign that God gives, Moses has to take on faith. He doesn't have water from the Nile that, that God's showing him. He just has to go get some water from the Nile and take it to the Pharaoh and believe it's going to turn to blood. What is life is going to bring death. We're going to see that in a plague forthcoming. Verse 10, but Moses said to the Lord, fourth, who am I? Who are you? They're not going to believe me. Number four. Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. I can't. I've never had the right words to say. I can't convince my kid why it's good to brush his teeth. You expect me to talk to a king? I'm a farmer. I'm a, I'm a shepherd. There's no way I'm going to be able to get these, these words you're speaking to me right now. There's no way I'm going to be able to repeat and put them in, in an order or in categories that, that function as speech, that make the points you want me to make. I can't do this. Even though Moses had the best Egyptian education in the first 40 years of his life, 
He knows that he is not equipped to do the work that God is calling him to do. We're going to unpack these five excuses in a bit. So don't think we're just moving over them fast. I'm just trying to get the word into you. I cannot do. They're not going to believe me. And I can't even do what you're asking me to do. I love God's response. Verse 11, then the Lord said, Who has made man's mouth? Your mouth. Every man, every woman in this room, who dares to believe that God cannot use you? Think about these excuses. Let me tell you something. And my wife will attest to this. My weeks are long and they're busy, but there's a change that happens on Friday. Saturday, you don't want to be around me. Sunday morning, the absolute worst. I just sit on the pot most of the morning. (laughs) Stomach churning, upset. You know why? Because I know I can't do this. I know I can't. It's not in me to be able to stand before you and to speak the words of God. The prayer I've been praying for almost 25 years now. God has used me in ministry. God, you have to... I can't do this. I've read all the commentaries. I know what you're saying, but there's no way I'm going to be able to communicate it to your people. You've got to show up if anything good happens. God can use me. He can use you. They asked me to speak at a church planner conference last year. And I just remember, I don't remember much about the conference. I just remember getting up there and going, well, this is it. (laughs) I'm a church planner. If God can use me, he can use you. No more excuses. Who made man's mouth? How do I get up here every Sunday and do this? By the power of God's spirit. He gives the right words at the right times. Why? Because he wants to change people's lives through me, through you, man of God, through you, woman of God. Who made man's mouth? Can I not put words in you that you... Sometimes I'm up here preaching, you know what's going on in my mind? I'm like, oh, I need to make a note of that. That's good. (laughs) I hear the stuff coming out of my mouth, and I'm not that smart. I'm not that smart. I'm not that good. I'm not that studied. But God is good. He gives us the words we need in the moments that we need them. Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? If you've ever doubted God's sovereignty, just keep reading the Bible. Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, I will be with your mouth. Oh, I love the Bible. 
I will teach you what you shall speak. And then Moses says, and here's the real root of it all. Who am I? Who are you? They're not going to believe me. I don't have the right. I'm not eloquent. I can't, I don't have, I'm not equipped to do what you're asking. But here's the real root. The last question, the real, after all the other questions have been answered by God, the real reason Moses is like, I'm thankful for this experience, but no thanks. Verse 13, but he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. I just don't want to do this. Nobody wants the ridicule. Nobody. Hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh and proclaim my deliverance and my gospel. Jonah just doesn't want to. But guess what? Here's where I'm restless. You want to talk about a sovereign God? Jonah tries to run away. Guess what? Jonah can't run away from the will of God. He tries and God says, nope. Bam! You're going to do exactly what I told you to do. You know what brings revival? All of us being the people of God that he's called us to be. Lots of people are going to hate it. They're going to hate us. There are going to be websites dedicated to hating our church. We've already had people come in and leave trying to... Just, there were two ladies six, seven years ago. They absolutely tried to... They called everybody they had a phone number for in our church trying to destroy our church. Guess what? We've like doubled in size since you guys left, you ding-dongs. <laughs> Because God's word is true. And it never fails. His word never goes out and does nothing. It always produces what God wants it to produce through your voice, through our voice. If it's the voice of God speaking through us, just please send somebody else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled again. You know what God hates more than anything else? Unbelief. You know what the root of all sin? In the garden, when Satan came and deceived Eve, how did he do it? By causing her to not trust the voice of God, to not trust his goodness, his character. There's a reason. Don't eat that fruit. Trust me. Ah, the fruit looks good, though. It'll make me like you. I can be my own God, doing my own things, making my own commands. What a wreck of life we make. God hates unbelief. It is impossible to please God without what? Faith. I heard Shanta back there. Faith. I know you're in here somewhere. I can't see you. Anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Here's what's awesome. Before Moses even gave any excuses, God had already put it in Aaron's heart. We're going to read this next week. God had already put it in Aaron's heart to come out and meet Moses. 
God's already put everything in place to destroy the excuses that we have. Now, 15 through 17, I just want you to, five times the word shall occurs. Hear the voice of God. His will will be done. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. What that means is not that Moses becomes a God. We're not Jehovah's Witnesses. That's a cult, and they're not Christian, just so you know. They do not believe that Jesus is God in flesh. They believe he's a created being, half-brother of Satan, a bunch of other nonsense that is non-Christian. There's a clear line between what is sound doctrine and what is heresy, what is false. You can't believe what is false. Be a Christian. You shall do these things. God speaks to Moses. Moses is going to speak the words of God into Aaron who is going to proclaim them. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do these signs. Five excuses. God's doing a work in the world. He's sending a deliverer. Moses is a foreshadowing of the great deliverer who will come. Jesus Christ who died in our place for our sin. Moses is a shadow of the deliverer God is sending. God has already flourished and building a people which he's continued to build. And just like the covenant he made with Abraham, many nations, many kings are going to come out of this people. All nations are going to be blessed. We in this room today, we might all be American citizens, but we come from all over the world. And yet we are unified in Christ Jesus as his people. God is building a people of all nations, tribes, languages. It's a beautiful work of gospel unity. God has an inheritance, a land for them in this time, an eternity for all his people at the king's table eating the fat of the land. This is what God is doing. Five excuses. Who am I? You've probably used that one before. Who are you? What's your purpose? What, what, what is this all about? They're not going to believe me even if I did go. And tell them who you are and what you're about. I'm not, I can't speak well. I'm not equipped to do what you've asked. Just send somebody else. I don't want to do this. We are reading a historical narrative that happened in history between a man who becomes. Understand this. Is Moses the great leader so revered as he is today in chapter 3 and 4? No. He only becomes the great deliverer of God's people as he obeys God and moves past the excuses that he has. 
eventually we come to a point in our lives where we have to say, you know what, my ways aren't that great. I've tried to do it my way a lot of times and it's ended in failure. Moses tried to deliver the people on his own. Remember, that's why he's a fugitive in the wilderness. He tried to move in his own strength, in his own power. But when God speaks, you've got to move, you've got to obey. And that's when God does amazing things in your midst, in your family, in your life, career. Let's break down these excuses. i got 11 minutes. Let's break down these excuses. Who am I? God speaks to us through His Word. But Brent, who am I? Go with me to Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 31. The golden chain of salvation, as we call it. Let me tell you who you are this morning. Who God has declared you to be. All things, right? We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Verse 29, for those whom He foreknew. We are off doing our own thing and God looked through the corridor of time not based on who's doing the right stuff and who's doing the wrong stuff. No, He just looked forward to all who had sinned. And he foreknew some. He, he attached himself intimately to some and those whom he foreknew. Again, we don't have any clue this has even happened. This is all in eternity past that God has foreknew and then predestined. That word means predetermined a destiny for us to be conformed to the image of his. You want to know what the will of God is? For us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. This is who we are. Men and women of God. We are foreknown. Our destinies are, there is no fate. There is a predetermined end for us to be conformed to his son, the firstborn among many brothers. He, he conquered death, and so the grave has no victory. The, death has no sting for us. Jesus conquered death. We also shall, in his shadow, in Christ, we will conquer it as well. To those whom he predestined, he also called. This is when we become aware that he foreknew us, loved us, predetermined a destiny for us. He calls us in. This is why we have to use words. The gospel is an event that happened in history. It's got to be told for people to know, for people to hear, so that they can believe. We'll talk about that in a second. He called. Well, go back. He called, and for those whom he called, he also justified. He made us right with God, his perfect life, his death in our place for our sin. I'm so thankful. I heard about a professor who finally got reprimanded at a private Christian school for saying to a room of young, impressionable people that the gospel was not necessary. Jesus' death was not necessary for us to be saved. That is heresy there's no salvation apart from the cross of christ jesus he had to live the perfect life that we have not he died in our place for our sin that we might be justified made right with god our account paid in full and those whom he justified he also glorified why verse 31 here's who you are who am i here's who you are 
What shall we say then to these things? Again, if it's God who has done the work, if it's God who came all the way to us, what shall we say? If God, here's who you are, if God is for you, who can be against you? If God has done all the saving for us, should there be any fear in our bones? There should be fire burning. There should be courage, faith. If God has done this, who can stop what God is doing? You want to know why we had almost 1,500 people come through one of our campuses on Easter Sunday? When 15 years ago, I was teaching Bible at a private school with seven people in my living room. No hope. You know why? Because there is power in the gospel. All we have. We don't have gimmicks, tricks. We're not great marketers. We didn't even put a banner out showing our Easter times. We kind of suck at a lot of things around here, just so you know. But one thing we don't suck at is our obstinate faith in this. If God is for us, who can be against us? Your boss isn't a believer. Guess what? Even if he fires you, there's a better job around the corner. If God is for you, who can be against you? This is, who am I? Saved by God in Christ Jesus. He's for you. Who can be against you? Look at uh, Philippians 4.13. We all know this verse. We all love this verse. Who am I? You are the man. You are the woman who can do all things through Him who strengthens you. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's who you are. Stop seeing yourself in the mirror as Moses sees himself and makes the excuse of just uh, some goat herder on the backside of the desert. Of course, that's who you are. Of course, we're all nobodies from nowhere except for the fact that we are in Christ. And Christ makes all the difference. He makes our gospel words power. When to us they're just words. He changes lives through the life of his church, through his people, through his gospel in which we steward. God's force, who can be against us? All things are possible to him who believes. That's who we are. Who is he? What is he about? We know. As clearly as God spoke to Moses, we know why we are here right now. Matthew 28. Go. God's name is a verb. He uses a lot of verbs. Go. Come to church and sit in a seat. I'm glad you're here. But there's an action verb for all disciples. Go, therefore. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. We make this so hard. It's so simple. Paul says to the Corinthians, I want to remind you, this is nothing you haven't heard before. I mean, some of you, you're going to be at three different Bible studies this week, and you're not going to talk about Jesus to anybody you meet. There's a problem. You don't need more information. You don't need... I can't believe your pastor is going to tell you this. You don't need another Bible study. You already know what you need to know for the power of God to be active in your life. I just want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3, so simple. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins. There is no salvation without Christ's sacrificial death in accordance with just like God said what happened, happened. Verse 4, but he didn't stay dead. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. He conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. This is the power in our voice that God uses to change people's eternity. The power of life and death is in the tongue. That doesn't mean you can speak curses on people, all you Pentecostal weirdos. I'm going to speak lottery winning tickets into my life. How's that working for you? Yeah, still not rich. Okay. What does it mean? The power to change someone's life in the gospel of Jesus Christ is right here. They will hear your voice, he said to Moses. They still hear our, why do we keep sitting back? Why do we keep giving up ground to those who hate us, that would kill us? And power is right here. And it's so simple. John 3, 16, God so loved, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him has eternal life. God loved, God gave, we believe, we have. It's simple. We know. Be reminded this morning of the message, who God is. What is his purpose? Who am I? Bought by God. He's forced. No, nothing can be. Well, what's the message? Who is he? He's the Savior. He lived perfect when we have not. He died in our place for our sins. This is the gospel. Well, what if they don't believe me? They're not going to believe, Brent. Romans 10, 14 through 17. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Paul is talking to a church. He's not talking to a pastor when we see that word preaching. He's talking to all God's people. Look, how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Yeah, you might get cussed out. There are people, the gospel is offensive. People don't want to believe they're sinners who need a savior. They want to believe God made them the way they are and they can do whatever they want. God's happy with everything they do. They don't want to hear about sin and repentance. 
the gospel, the Bible says, beautiful are the feet, are those who truly love. Love enough the way Jesus, the way God loved us enough to come all the way down to where we are and speak the truth. You don't speak the truth. You don't really love someone. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. 16, quickly. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Look at John 20, 30, 31. I love this. This is, this is after the story of doubting Thomas. You guys remember him, right? A disciple followed Jesus three years, but the cross, he saw him die, and that was it for him. And people kept saying, he's risen, we've seen him. He's risen. And Thomas is like, no way, that doesn't happen. Nobody comes back. And then John says this. Now Jesus, and then Jesus showed up to Thomas, and he put his finger, remember? Put your, put your finger in the scars in my side where I was pierced. Thomas touches Christ, and finally faith erupts, and he believes. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Everything here is, we don't have all the story, but we have everything we need to believe. To believe who he is and what he's doing through us. Ah, fourth excuse. I'm just, I can't, I'm not eloquent. I can't speak right. There's no way. Acts 4.13, let me remind you how the entire world was turned upside down. Rome was one of four. America is the best, greatest nation on planet Earth right now. No doubt. Who wants to live in Russia? Who wants to live in Switzerland? Everybody's like, Switzerland and Venezuela. Yeah. Nobody wants to live there. Not boatloads of immigrants trying to get into Switzerland. People are so dumb. This is a great nation, but we're not a world empire. There's only been four. Rome was a world. All the known world was under the thumb of Rome. And 12 nobodies from nowhere changed everything. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were, I don't have more degrees behind my name than a thermometer, praise God. That means you're not indoctrinated into foolishness. We don't need a peer-reviewed journal to tell us what is true. Some people get so smart in their sophistry, they have no common sense any longer. Anybody watch the news lately? There's no common sense at all. It was the uneducated, the common men that astonished all the learned men. And they recognize where does this power they have come from? comes from Jesus Christ. I'm not eloquent. I can't do it. If Peter the fisherman can do it, you can do it by God's grace. Amen? Number five. Oh, goodness. I've lost track of time. Just send somebody else. 
Matthew chapter 5. We skipped one, but that's okay. No fridges in the ancient world. To preserve meat, they packed it with salt so they could have it for later. It wouldn't spoil. Why is our world in the shape it's in? Because the salt stopped being salt. Why is there so much rottenness? You can smell it in the air. As those who have rebelled against God have all the places of power, all the places of influence. They own the silver screen. They own Hollywood. They own politics. They own the news media. You can, I know you can. I smell the rottenness in the air just than somebody else. God put us here for this purpose, for this reason, to preserve, to be the salt. If the salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing. Keith Green, if you've not listened to Keith Green, get ready to cry and repent. Whenever I'm in a bad mood, I turn Keith Green on, and I'm just like, oh, I'm such a turd. Lord Jesus, help me. He sang a song, Asleep in the Light. The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. What happens when the salt loses its saltiness? You are a city. Go to the next. You are a city on a hill. The light of God. Jesus is the light of the world, amen? But Jesus tells us, we, in his name, we are the light of the world. Are we going to allow, are we going to try to shroud the city on a hill, the beautiful cross of Christ Jesus, where true life, abundant life can be found here as well as in eternity? Are we going to shroud it by keeping our mouths closed and letting true nobodies from nowhere with no power, with no way, all they can do is tear stuff down. They don't know how to build anything. We're going to let them be in control? We're going to let their voices deceive an entire generation while we keep silent with the life that we've been given in Christ? Oh, Brent, I just don't want to. That's not my place. It's your place, light of the world, man of God, woman of God. No more excuses for revival to come. Praise God, we're always going to come and open our Bibles and learn and drink deeply from God's Word. But this thing will never be what I know in my heart God wants to do. It's never going to happen unless we all take our place in the kingdom. We push our excuses like Moses did to the side. And we... Become, we already are, but we actually live out the kingdom of God through faith, through courage, through gospel proclamation. Let's pray. Father, I love you and I thank you. Your word is power. I have no power. I can do nothing. I can't change anyone's mind. But Lord God, you speak through your word. You encourage your people. Father, we pray for revival. May we see it in our time. Use the restlessness you have put in us to spur us forward. 
No more talk. No more conversation. May we draw the lines you have drawn and march like the army you have made us. In Jesus' name, amen.